Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Great podcast today. Uh, We have the woman who broke the story on Coca-Cola and their... Be Less White training program last week. Uh, Carlin Borisenko, she's going to be with us. Uh, also, we have the attorney that is representing the Christian pastor who has been arrested and put in a maximum security prison. No bail. He's waiting for his trial because he violated the COVID restrictions. Uh, pretty amazing story. Also, more on the weather and global climate change. John Kerry says we only have nine years to stop it. Now even less, because he said it the other day. Yeah, so it's mm. it's crazy. All the news you need to know with perspective on today's podcast. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. has uh, come out on Friday and said that the record cold temperatures we're seeing global warming. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how that works, uh, but the guy who you know flies on private jets and has a mega yacht and several mansions, uh, but he's different than all of us. He says it is growing too late. We now only have, write this down in your calendar, Stu. Now we have John Kerry giving us nine years. So we have an official new clock, a new countdown, nine years to fix this. So, okay. We got that down. We, got, a, yeah, we that's, got it down. No, no problem. Don't yeah, worry about we it. We only have nine years to fix it, and that's why it needs to be a cram down. Now, some would say that, no, no, I, I don't think I'm going to buy that. <laughs> uh, some would say, no, I don't think the cold weather uh, is because of uh, global climate change, because... Texas has had this kind of cold weather before it, it happens from time to time, Um, you know, but maybe it's just me, but the world is waiting for America, even though uh, reports now come out that uh, about 230 miles east of Moscow, uh, there is a, uh, there's a pack of dogs that have been discovered that their fur is blight a bright blue. Now it could be that they've been hanging out around the chemical plant, but Moscow doesn't know. They have no idea. It may be an entirely new species of dog that is bright blue. But remember, America is the crap hole that is holding <laughs> the rest of the world back. Uh, Joe Bastardi is uh, with us and. Uh, he is the uh, chief forecaster at Weather Bell and also the author of The Weaponization of Weather in the Phony Climate War. Boy, oh boy, oh boy. Guess what he's going to say. Hi, Joe. Hi. Who would have ever thought? Uh, hi, Stu. Hi, Glenn. Hi, Pat. Hi, everybody. Uh, <laughs> who? Uh, uh, you let in with John Kerry. And I'm like, oh, man, you're just like waving 
a red flag in front of me. <laughs> Who would ever thought that John Kerry mm-hmm. could be an advertisement for my book? Since right. The whole book just what? counters that kind of. There's actually a chapter on that: the weaponization of global the global temperature. And uh, you know, I, I just I'm watching these statements, and um, I can't believe it. Joe, 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 Joe. We only have nine years now. And I know we had 10 years about 15 years ago. But this time, uh, we now have nine years to solve this thing. Otherwise, we're doomed. We're doomed. And you saw what happened in Texas, right? Yeah. Yeah. You better believe I saw what happened in Texas since we were, uh, my company was way out in front of it. You know, we have have major clients in Texas, construction companies, and uh, on February 10th, uh, you know, as publicly as I could, and as many people as could co- I could contact, you know, my dad used to say, if you have to tell someone you're good at something, you can't be that good at it. Right. But, on the, uh, you know, not everybody follows me or whatever. On February 10th, we said uh, category, the winter equivalent of a category five hurricane, most five-day extreme winter weather event in Texas history. And I actually put the maps of 1899 on that uh, infamous outbreak in 1899. By the way, I'd like to question uh, Senator Kerry. uh, How did that happen, 1899 with that outbreak and then the 1900 Galveston hurricane? You can't get more extreme than those type of swings that were going on back then. And uh, the only thing I could say is that it must have been the horses that were adding whatever they were. Adding oh, yeah, to yeah, the atmosphere yeah, the methane. So wait, so wait a minute. You, uh, if I'm not mistaken, didn't you call the state officials and say, hey, guys, prepare. Here it comes. Well, what happened was, uh, you know, I have contacts uh, and one of the contacts is uh, Sean Hannity, who forwarded my book. And, uh, you know, I was mailing Sean and everybody way in advance. And Sean uh, called uh, Governor Cruz or Senator Cruz and Governor Abbott. And uh, Friday night, I got a I got a call from uh, Senator Cruz and uh, we talked for about a half hour. And then uh, we talked uh, talk with Governor Abbott uh, and then the staffs of both uh, staffs of Senator Cruz's staff Saturday morning to really try to get them ahead. But by that time, it was sort of too late as far as what the state could do. You needed a response starting four or five days away. I actually tweeted that, Glenn, that there should, and this was the middle of, it was on Wednesday, I tweeted that there should be a uh, federal response the same way as preparation for a hurricane goes, a, a winter-type response, getting that equipment in there, understanding that we were going to have the kind of freeze-ups we were going to have, and, you know, Saturday morning, I was uh, digging into the Texas newspapers, and I realized that they really didn't get it. Um, they were saying, oh, it's going to be cold, but we've had these kind of things before. This was completely, it was 1899. It was, uh, it was different from 83. 83 was a little bit colder in many places, but not as much snow in 83, mm-hmm. uh, the 83 outbreak. Now, I know all this stuff because I have no life except, the good Lord above, my family, and the weather. So I go in and dig into all these maps. My father's a meteorologist. He taught me the foundation I stand on today was built yesterday to reach for tomorrow. So if I know yesterday, if I see maps from yesterday, I say, wait a minute, that's showing up again. Guess what's going to happen? And the the interesting thing about this is I do this 
because I love it. This is what God made me to do, so I'm going to do it as hard as I can. And the second thing is it benefits my company because what happens is everybody is just looking at the computer models and consensus and so many great forecasters out there. But if you can add something more, something different, and, and help people out with that, you uh, you add so, value to the product, and then you see what happens. All right. So you, one of the things that you uh, added, you said the the three previous big freezes predicted this one. Is that just from the maps, the computer models, and the? Well, the- yeah. The, the, there's certain things that go on. There's certain signs that go on. For instance, a week before the freeze, I have a couple of not going to say their names. They're they're meteorologists in uh, Little Rock, Arkansas, on Saturday night after I got out of church. We had a big map discussion. Uh, they called me up, and we were talking about this. This is a week before. And here's what they were confronted with. They said, Joe, we're reading what you're saying. You're referencing 83. You're referencing 1899. None of the computer models are predicting those numbers. You know, they were all 50 and a low of 35 and things like that. And mm. so we went over the whole thing, and there's a certain type of a certain type of way that Texas gets really cold. Uh, you you need the ridge of high the Arctic ridge of high pressure to run from Montana down to Midland, and what happens is it's high pressure that actually causes Texas to get brutally cold. You get the buildup of low level cold dense air in the northern plains, and it oozes southward. There are these small pulses that come in, and one of the biggest things that was going on, folks was that the, the run-up to this, the Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday period, the computer-generated numbers were busting horribly one day away. They were predicting a high of 15 or be 40, high of 40, it'd be 28. And what happens is if you're, let's say you're auto- automating your, your load estimates, if you're an energy company, and you're saying, well, we're going to use this computer model says it's going to be 50. And, well, guess what's going to happen if you're in Dallas? is going to be day after day after day a buildup of error and then what happens when the real cold the, the strong so how can cold. our models be this wrong and yet they say they can predict what's coming you know in well, nine years they can't they're tools and i i talk about that in my book you know i i think people should get the you know i, I know it sounds like i'm shamelessly plugging the book but it's almost as if the book was written for what's going on now. I didn't know uh, Joe Biden was going to be president when I wrote that book, right? And, and yet I wrote it because I felt there was something to say and alert people to about the weaponization of the situation. No, the, the models are tools to use. See, they're not the answers. They're ways to get answers. They're outstanding ways to get answers. But you've got to know, based on what happened in the past in comparisons, how to use them and when to use them. And it's a matter of waiting. It's a matter of what we call attribution. And that's the problem with the climate, the guys on the climate side of the issue. I see what they're saying. I mean, a lot of good people on that side of the issue. They've done great research. I read their stuff all the time. I want to know what they know, not what I know. I can't increase what I know unless I hear from someone else. So what happens is that they, they look at one thing and put all their eggs in one basket. When you have all these models, all these what we call analogs of the past, the physical, uh, the physical drivers of the atmosphere at that time, you have to decide as a human being, as a forecaster, try to do a service for your client or whoever, how to weight them. Is this stronger than this one? How do you blend them together? 
And that, that takes a lot of dirty work. You know, there's a saying, the will, everybody has a will to win, but the will to prepare to win is what counts. And it's preparation. It's no different. I used to wrestle at Penn State. It's no different than what we were taught on the wrestling mat, except we do it with the weather in my company, where it's just constant, constant looking at things so anyway joe i hope that doesn't sound too pop (laughs) no it it, no it doesn't thank you because i know your record it doesn't uh joe bastardi his his book is called the weaponization of weather in the phony climate war uh probably a really good book to bone up on because we are entering uh a new battle and a new era and it is this one is powerful this one they say it is going to be done uh, and we will be in a Green New Deal. The weaponization of weather in the phony climate war. Joe Bastardi, thank you so much, Joe. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. James Kitchen now joins us. He is a lawyer with Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms, something that is relatively new. It's about 10 years old, and it's a voice for freedom in the courtrooms of Canada. Uh, He is here to talk to us about uh, Pastor James Coates, who is now, is he still in maximum security? He is, yeah. He's in the remand center in Edmonton. And who goes to that prison usually? Well, people who are awaiting their trial, right, which is, which is what he's doing right now, currently. Um, that's, why, that's why we refer to it as a remand center. So, um, you know, there's a, I think there's a wide mix. Uh, certainly his, his cellmate um, was, was coming off of uh, some, sort of, some sort of drug. I think it may have been meth um, for the first day or two that he was in the cell with Coates. So uh, I can imagine there's, there's a wide range of, uh, of, of guys in there. And was he in uh, solitary confinement for a while? Well, I don't know if I'd quite call it that. I mean, what was going on is that he wasn't allowed to have any visitors, so he couldn't see his wife. He, he was only let out for 40 minutes a day, um, and he wasn't allowed to have any you know, normal social interaction with anybody except, of course, his cellmate. The reason for that is, is, is of course, the, the 14-day COVID uh, you know, isolation restrictions uh-huh. that they have prisoners coming in so that's so that's not like normally in the prison you are able to receive some visitors and you have some you have some time out with in a common area with some with some other prisoners he's not getting that because of the covid restrictions not because of any other reason um so i I mean solitary confinement probably isn't quite the word but it's certainly it's certainly taxing don't we get those 40 minutes out and not be able to to see to have any visitors so what is happening why was he arrested tell us the story sure so um his church is is probably one of the few um, that not only believes they should all meet together uh, at the same time on a, on a morning, um, but but are but are going to are going to do it even even when the government says not to because you know they uh, they first of all I mean they they don't they don't believe in the science behind it they don't they don't think it's a justified violation of their rights because they don't think there's scientific evidence to back it up but but. Um, you know, it's also a violation of their religious beliefs, right? Because if they, if they, they, they follow Scripture, and Scripture says we are all to meet, and meet in person, not over Zoom, so that we can, you know, pray together, sing together, do baptism together, have the Lord's Supper together, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So his church meets at its, at its full normal capacity, and he's the head pastor. He presides over that, over that service most Sundays. So because he was at that capacity and not at 15%, which is what it's supposed to be here in Alberta, 
he did that for several months, and uh, eventually he was uh, he was arrested and, and released on on uh, on a Sunday after a service. Given an undertaking by the police, he refused to sign that undertaking. So he refused to agree to it. So there was no real undertaking. However, the next Sunday he held church again, and the police asked him to turn himself in. And when he did, they charged him with breaching that undertaking, and that led immediately to a bail hearing. Now they also charged him with 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 breaching public health measures, but that was kind of that was kind of the key. Uh, charge there because that's the only one that's criminal, and so that led to a bail hearing. At the bail hearing, he was released, uh, but he was released with a condition, and the condition was that he stopped breaching the public health orders, which he couldn't do, of course, because right. that would mean now church would have to be at fifteen percent. So because he wouldn't agree to the condition, he had to be held in jail. Now, are they doing this to business people? Well, they haven't put any business people in jail. Um, you know, I, I have a lot of experience with the snowboard, and I can tell you there's, there's a lot of tickets. Um, there's a lot of attempts by the local health authority to close down the businesses. Um, there's been some court applications and some court orders, but they haven't, they haven't um, actually arrested and, and tried to throw any business owners in jail yet. So you would think that business owners don't have the standing that a church would have. Uh, I mean, I, I'm trying to remember what your, your Bill of Rights is called up in Canada. It's not as strong as ours, but ours is worthless right now. Um, but you have protection for speech and for religion, right? We do, yes. It's called the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms, and it's the portion of our Constitution where our civil liberties are protected. And uh, Section 2, uh, 2A protects freedom of religion, and 2B expects, uh, protects freedom of expression, as you said. 2C protects freedom of peaceful assembly, which is, of course, also being exercised on a Sunday morning by this church. Um, yes, we, you know, we, yeah, similarly to you, we have these protections. They're not, they're not worth much unless the, unless the court has a will to enforce them, unless the government has any sort of will to respect them. They're not worth much, unfortunately. So that's that's the situation we face. And yes, the, the 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 pastor would have more rights than a business owner. So why was he singled out? Do you think? That's a good question. I, hmm. you know, he's been he's been doing this for a long time. It's been three months um, that he he has been, um, you know, just saying, look, I I, I serve Jesus, not the government, and my church is going to continue to do church as we as we see. Uh, is best for our people, is the most loving thing that we can do for our people. And is it actually be here? Has there been extreme breakouts among his flock? No, there hasn't, been, there hasn't been any. There hasn't been any. I, I, I can only say that perhaps the government is, is after three months of him doing this, has, has kind of just, you know, they said enough's enough. We got we to gotta, we gotta do something about this. But, um, but, but wait, there, there hasn't been any outbreak of COVID in his congregation. And no. while he was being arrested, aren't the numbers going dramatically in the opposite direction? I mean, shouldn't they be easing up on these restrictions? Because the numbers were, were going way down, were they not? Well, that, I mean, that's, that's the elephant in the room. Are the restrictions about politics or are they about safety and health and medicine and science and facts, Right. So, I mean, you know, this is a church of 400 members. They've had no outbreaks of COVID. Nobody has died of COVID, uh, but they have, they have had somebody die to the lockdown measures. They had somebody die uh, prematurely because he couldn't get his cancer treatment. So, um, yeah, no, this isn't, you know, this isn't, this isn't ultimately, in my opinion, about science, facts, medicine, evidence, safety. It's not about anything. It's about politics, right? So, because if we did, if we did actually just care about, about, about trying to, 
uh, keep people safe or public health or what have you, then if you had a church that was open full on for three months and had no outbreaks and no issues, uh, you'd leave them alone. Yeah, they're obvi- obviously it's working. Obviously, obviously the government is wrong about about their restrictions on churches. Obviously, it's working, and and obviously they're fine. And maybe, maybe we should actually go worry about the nursing homes where the problem really is. Right? So, that that would that would be a reasonable approach, but that's not how politics works. So, if it's politics, do you have faith that the court is not tangled in politics? Here in America, it is. Well, I mean, where is it not? Right? Uh, I mean. Of course, of course, my faith is is is, is not is not solid. Um, you know, I certainly hope and look to the courts for them to for them to think independently, for them to fulfill their role to be a um, you know an effective check on government power, an effective balance on that to to be a sober second thought and to not merely accept everything the government says, but to actually critically analyze whether or not it's true. I I would hope for that, but. So far in Canada, I've seen very few instances of that happening. Most of what I've seen is the courts simply rubber stamping uh, government government measures. So it's terrifying. I, yeah, it is. So um, what what can people do to help? Well, first of all, did they the church? I assume was going again yesterday. He was still in prison. Uh, they had another pastor, and was he arrested or fined? He wasn't. Interestingly enough, for only the second time in three months, uh, the public health inspectors did not show up. Um, and the local law enforcement uh, were in the area, but didn't even enter the parking lot. So that was interesting and surprising. The church was certainly prepared for, for you know, uh, the hammer to come down. And so it's, it's hard to know what they're thinking, but it, but it, 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 it says volumes that, uh, that nobody showed up. Uh, the, the church had a, had a large number of people there. In fact, um, they, they had they had to turn people away uh, just just to just to be in accordance with their normal 100% fire code for actual safety. Uh, they had to turn some people away who kind of stood around outside and, listen, and listened to an outdoor speaker to the service because they didn't want to leave. They were so happy to be there. So uh, <laughs> it was interesting. So what can people do to help? Well, you know, I think the most important thing people can do is to stop self censoring. Now, obviously, some people agree with this. They agree with the lockdowns. But for the, for the growing number of people who don't, it's important on, on an individual level that each one of them stand up and be counted and speak out. And, and, and if they, if they agree, disagree with it, to say so, right? And, and, and to take some action, peaceful action, of course, but, 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 but actually say, no, this is wrong, and I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to let my politicians know, and I'm going to start talking to people I know, and we're going to start, you know, uh, live in life and 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 uh, not believe in this stuff anymore, and we're and we're going to say so. That's the biggest thing, right? It's, we got a lot of people who disagree with it quietly; they don't say anything. And then there's just a few people like Pastor James Coates, and then the government tries to single them out and take them out. But if all the people who disagreed and opposed it stood up and said, "We're done with this. We're 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 tired of being governed and policed in this way. We're tired of our rights being taken away," then this thing would start to crumble. Well, I will tell you, um, that would be the easiest thing. I know that Pastor Coates' wife said over the weekend that uh, don't stand by the 15% capacity limit. She said, uh, you know, even though my husband is in prison for it, the best thing you can do is open your churches and and stand up because they can't arrest all of us. That's right. I mean, she's she's not wrong. That's, I mean, that's just how it works, right? It's, 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 it's still a democracy that we live in. 
right? It's it's obviously it's starting to fall apart, but we're not. It's not. A, it's not. A, it's not a totalitarian dystopian nightmare yet. We're on our way there, but it's not there yet. There's there's still. It could still be turned around if enough people said no. We don't want it to go there, so we're not. We're not going to let it go there. We're not going to put up with this, right? Uh, yeah, she's she's right. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Uh, James Kitchen, uh, lawyer for the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms. We'll follow this story of Pastor James Coates, and uh, please keep us updated. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. you this is the best of the Glenn Beck Program. This is the Glenn Beck Program. The organizational psychologist who uh, helps companies become better. She has uh, now committed herself to combating the influence of critical race theory in America. Her name is uh, Dr. Carlin Borisenko, good friend of the program. Hi, Carlin. How are you? I'm doing well, Glenn. Thanks for having me back. So you made uh, some headlines over the weekend. Uh, You are the one who wrote the first post about Coca-Cola Tell me how this happened and and what happened. Yeah, so on Friday, well, let me back up one day. On Thursday, Coca-Cola sent out an email to its employees about this this uh, this diversity training program that they were implementing in which they said a specific course of programming was required. Now, the very next day, I got an email from a whistleblower at the company who had been talking with their team members, and all of them were incredibly uncomfortable about this specific training that told them to try to be less white. And so one of them was very brave and he has watched my videos on YouTube and reached out to me and provided me evidence of the training. And I posted it on Twitter, frankly, not really expecting it to get the reception that it did, because I feel like I've been screaming about these Mm -hmm. training programs for the better part of a year. But thankfully, uh, a lot of people took notice and it's really gotten a lot of attention. Now, Coca-Cola has done some really disturbing things. They are all in on the Great Reset and the ESGs, which people need to watch for. ESG, environmental, social, and governmental standards. So the social part is like critical race. It is social justice. Uh, the environmental piece is, is the Green New Deal. Uh, and these companies are resetting, and Coca-Cola has been on the forefront of it. If you look into Coca-Cola's online presence and what they say, their bottling company in Europe actually justifies, says, in order for us to justify our business license, we do X, Y, and Z. And uh, when did we have to start justifying a business license? I mean, you have to be within the parameters, but now you have to do social work. You have to do training on critical race theory, et cetera, et cetera, to, quote, justify your business license. They're just ahead of the 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 rest of these corporations, I think. Well, maybe, but I actually think that the questions at play here are much bigger than Coca-Cola. You know, a lot of people have been calling for a boycott of Coca-Cola since the news broke. And while I think that's all fine, well, and good, the reality is that this training exists on LinkedIn Learning. And what that means is that there are probably thousands of other companies out there that are having employees do this very 
same training. And we already know that there are there are employees from some of the biggest companies in the world that are actually taking this training as we speak. So for my money, I think that the story about Coke is interesting just because it's a really large company. But mm-hmm. the 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 um, the amount of companies that are already doing this and the amount of money that Robin D'Angelo is making convincing white people that they are racist is the real story here. So tell me what she was teaching. Coca-Cola came out and said, no, 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 that stuff, that stuff on LinkedIn, that wasn't the focus of the training. That's how they tried to deny it and say that, no, 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 we weren't doing any of that. What were they doing? Well, I also think it's worth noting that you're you're quoting Coca-Cola's first statement that was procured by the Blaze, but they actually came out with a second statement a couple hours later, which says, oh, no, no, we weren't having our employees do this specific training at all. So they went from confirmation to denial within a couple hours. But I mean, this is this is very typical Robin D'Angelo training. It's teaching white people that they are every negative, every negative thing in the book. And what it's actually doing is um, Robin D'Angelo's big grievances are frankly with people who are presenting a self-empowerment uh, that she feels uncomfortable with. It's when people, you know, aren't, aren't afraid to express themselves, aren't afraid to stand up for what they believe in. It's a very specific type of communication style that she seems to have the most grievances with. And she's labeling that as all white people, which, of course, is not the case at all. And in fact, I'll tell you this, the whistleblower that reached out to me is not white in any way, shape, or form, and they were still uncomfortable with the specific training. So there are so many people that I know. I have friends in, in so many different businesses in big companies from, you know, from financial houses to lawyers to architects to show people, um, and they are, they're all saying they're going through these trainings, and I've asked them, so what are you doing about it? We just shut up. I said, that that's possibly the worst thing you can do. And they're like, I don't want to lose my job, Glenn. And I honestly don't know who's on my side. I know a couple of people that we kind of look at each other during the meetings, but I don't know who's shutting their mouth and who feels like this is the right thing to do. And I'll lose my job. What should people do? Yeah, I mean, it is a sticky situation to be in because even if you ask questions about these trainings, you are at very real risk of losing your job. But I'll tell you this, what I'm trying to do right now is actually I'm working on getting critical race theory banned in state agencies and in state contractors at a state level in New Hampshire. There is actually a bill right now. I just testified for it last week in the New Hampshire House of Representatives called HB 544, which would ban state money being spent on this type of training. And I actually know from the whistleblower lowers at Coke, that when President Trump issued his executive order that banned this at a federal level, Coke actually put the pause on it for a minute and they brought it back after Biden rescinded the executive order on his first day. So I think the very best thing people can do right now is reach out to your state representatives, try to get this banned on a state level in state agencies and in state government contractors, and that'll go a long way. I think we also need uh, some sort of a Uh, a lawyer action group that can uh, give people advice or represent people. I mean, I can't believe that if you object to a uh, you have to be less white, I can't believe that you're going to lose in a court of law. 
Well, it's funny because I don't know if you've been following the story of Jody Shaw, who was a whistleblower at Smith College, but she just resigned over like last week uh, in re- in reference to this same type of thing happening at Smith College, and she filed complaints with their HR offices. And what she was told was civil rights laws aren't written to protect people who look like you. Wow. Uh, I'd love to see that tested uh, uh, in court because that, if that's true, we're done as a nation. Yeah. You mentioned that that people that who the person who reached out to you was not white with the Coca-Cola thing. I think it's fascinating. Yeah. And that like how important in the turnaround of this nonsense is it for people who are not white to step up and say this is wrong? Because that's got to be a crucial part of the momentum to turn this around. Because it it's all Martin white Luther people King. talking about, right? Exactly. Martin when Luther King people, had a lot of white pastors, and yeah, a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. I think it's critical to the operation because how this is usually framed is that the reason the white people speak up is that they're scared or they're fragile or any of these things, and that's simply not the case. So I think that everyone who is this should not be a black or white or brown issue this shouldn't even be a democrat versus republican issue quite frankly if you are opposed to racism you should be opposed to things like this and i have to tell you some of the feedback i've received from black people has been well carlin we were told to be less black in the workplace for years and that's very valid but that's also wrong and racist that shouldn't be happening either and if you're against that type of racism then you should be against this as well so tell me see the problem with critical race theory to me and this anti-racist thing is its objective is to employ reverse racism the only way to uh cure it is to punish those uh of another race and to have this reverse racism which is an incredible goal to have so they admit that that's what they're trying to do correct or not correct yeah that's that's exactly correct yeah the the goal of critical race theory is that racism exists everywhere and it says that white people put these systems in place in order to maintain power and the only way to get rid of racism is to you know bring bring the white people down a level essentially so how do you argue with somebody who says well how can you disagree that white people wrote the rules and and this country was you know founded by a bunch of white people Well, I would say, yeah, it was founded by a bunch of white people, but this country has been all about progress and creating a more perfect union. I mean, the founders of this country were not perfect men, but they were good men and they were trying to do the right thing. And even when Thomas Jefferson wrote the Declaration of Independence, it was very obvious that he was uncomfortable with slavery and was trying to build mechanisms in to get slavery, um, you know, to be outlawed in the future. And so I think that, you know, we are not a perfect country, but we get better and better and better all the time. And these policies are simply regressing us back to a place that is that was even before the civil rights movement in this country. It makes absolutely no sense. And I just don't think the people uh, continuing them have thought about what the end goal is. They don't they don't take into consideration that when Robin D'Angelo says all white people are racist. Well, guess what? She means you, too. And she means the CEOs of all these companies. And if the goal is to destroy white privilege, well, that means all of your institutions are going to get tear down, torn down in the process. And so what, what does that really leave us with? I don't think that uh, leaves us much to build on. There are very real and valid questions about race in this country, but this is not the way to fix it. I can't believe that you ever 
you were ever thinking that you were, you know, liberal or a progressive. Uh, <laughs> I can't believe it. <laughs> to hear you quote Thomas Jefferson and our founders, uh, I'm just so happy and and uh, proud to be your friend. Proud to be your friend. Uh, well, thank you, Glenn. And I have to tell you, it's it's been a little over a year since I went to that Trump rally. I do I do consider myself a liberal, um, but I think that I, I consider myself a liberal in the way that you know I'm classic. a free thinker. I like listening. Yeah, classical yeah, liberal. If you I'm will. a classic Although liberal. I, I refuse to modify it with that term though, because I think that the word liberal gets a bad rap, and and I want to take it back. <laughs> yeah, good for you. Good for you, um, Carlin. Thank you so much, Carlin Borisenko. Na, na, na.